Put on your big Hollywood sunglasses and light the torch, because it's cellar time. Welcome to the Crack Zone. As the prophecy was foretold, I'm Two-Spirit Penguin Daniel. And I'm Broadcaster Nichols. And today, the year 2020, a.k.a. the year of Corona. Broadcaster Nichols, tell me, how many bats have you eaten this year? You know, I'll be honest, I'm kind of ashamed, but I have not had the opportunity to have some deep-fried bat. It is the chicken of the tree. You know, in Wyoming, I'm told, all KFCs serve bat. (laughs) (laughs) That was back country for sure. <laughs> man, oh man. So uh, in this post-apocalyptic world, when you aren't struggling to acquire toilet paper, what have you been doing to pass your time? You know, Doom Eternal came out. Praise the Lord, Satan himself. <laughs> that game has taken a lot of my time up. Of course, Warzone as well, but we won't talk about that. Uh, then, you know, just... Uh, you know, preparing for the the apocalypse. You know, I'm sharpening my axe, uh, slowly buying all my survival equipment off Amazon.com. And yeah. uh, you've developed a small armory in the last couple of weeks, correct? <laughs> small armory as in one one <laughs> firearm, <laughs> one small firearm. Is it small? No, it's actually full size. Oh shit! If anyone asks, you tell them it's full size. <laughs> man oh man real close (laughs) (laughs) so uh yeah doom eternal you're i think you're a lot further than me right how many how many levels in are you if you're actually counting full-on levels are you talking about because there's checkpoints in each no not checkpoints levels yeah like the full level i'm i'm at the super gore nest which is I think four or five. Okay. So I'm, I'm on level three. So you're a couple levels ahead of me. This game is fucking badass. Like you think yeah, you disclaimer, do- disclaimer out there. If anyway, anybody is listening and they're saying, wow, how have you not beaten this game already or not further? I fucking put my feet deep in nightmare mode immediately. <laughs> right. And I haven't left it. All right. So I'm doing this proper. Don't, don't, don't judge me. Yeah, and I I was a retard, and I thought I was going to walk into extra life mode on Nightmare and just, you know, casually get that done before FF7 comes out. And after a couple hours, I was like, wait a second. <laughs> <laughs> and then I went back to just regular Nightmare with you and the, the rest of the common one percenters. Uh, I've made a terrible choice. <laughs> what's what's he in, say? I made a terrible mistake. <laughs> in theory, I'd love to do those super super hard modes, but when you have a behemoth lurking beyond the shadows like FF Seven, you just can't. You know, uh, there's no, I know I'm gonna drop it for FF Seven as soon as it comes out. I, even if I say to myself I won't, I'm going to. So, and and you know, talk about fucking hitters, man. I mean. 
coronavirus season hits, right? <laughs> Everyone's all like, oh, man, a couple weeks inside. I'm just like, what are you talking about? This has come at the perfect opportunity. We got Doom. We got Final Fantasy VII. And fuck knows what they're going to release early, you know, because no one can go to theaters. They already got Black Widow. They got The Hunt. There's all kinds of movies going to be pretty much at our disposal well, on our couches right now. It's like the best season for entertainment you could dream of. Yeah, and have you heard that Black Widow is either going to be canceled or it's going to be brought straight to Disney Plus and it's it's no longer going to have a theatrical release? Well, I could only assume that because they're going to miss the window of opportunity to really release it. They put mm-hmm. all the, the budget into uh PR and advertisements and then not have it go into theaters. I would I would expect that, but to be canceled, I just don't I think that's just pure speculation probably word of mouth brought down by the the pyramid of of rumors you know i yeah there's no way they're gonna cancel there's way too much money scarlett johansson is too hot and she's gonna be my future (laughs) ex-wife and i mean they just it's just you know what i'm talking about there's just too much money involved here i agree and the trailers made it look pretty cool it doesn't look like it's well i mean it looks schlocky but it doesn't look like it's the bad kind and you would think that they wouldn't want to waste a film of that level just drop it to the cutting room floor completely so i'm with you i I think it's going to get released but i'm pretty sure it's just going to be put on disney plus i don't think it's ever going to get a theatrical release now with a crone apocalypse (laughs) Yeah, that would be uh, it'd be crazy to me. I, I, I just I don't see that that timeline where that yeah. exists. Yep, it's very interesting what the the movie industry is going through right now because theater, you know, tickets for movies are already really low unless you're Star Wars or one of the big ones. Like even Blade Runner, the new Blade Runner, which is a revered sci-fi franchise it didn't sell that well in the theater. It's just hard unless you're like star Wars to get to sell tickets. So you combine that with this whole Corona thing, people, I think after this is over, this is going to be a weird moment for humanity. I think this is a tipping point where there's going to be a kind of a, an awakening of a lot of people to germs, something that I've been awakened to for a very long time, as you know. But now this event is so hyped up. It is so like by the media just punched in your face and you are just told constantly, wash your hands, wash your hands, wash your hands. Why aren't you washing your hands? If you leave your house, people are, think you are a fucking Satan for leaving your house. How dare you not obey the quarantine orders? It is a very weird moment in our country and maybe world's history totally that I think is going to change some things with the way humans look at germs. And I think this is going to affect the industry of movies. I think that movie theaters are permanently going to take another hit. There is just going to be a portion of the audience that is never going back to a movie theater because they know how fucking germy those places are. It's funny because I've always stated – I've always – unless I really liked the content or the IP, you know, I, I, I'll go pay money for if, ironically enough, Blade Runner. Like I went to go see uh Blade Runner 2047 is 2049. 2049. Yeah. 2049. And, uh, I, I very rarely will I go to the theaters and it was never because of germs. It, honestly, I'm just kind of, I don't like crowds. I've kind of, you know, if, if there's one thing that this whole thing has taught me is that, immediately when all this started to happen, I started researching survival type aspects and stuff, just in case, you know, I'm not a paranoid individual. I'm not, I'm not thinking the world's falling. I'm not chicken little, you know, I'm not thinking the sky's falling, but at the same time, I just, I kind of took inventory and I'm just like, God, all these things we do 
are really compromising to the individual safety, Mm -hmm. you know, like not even on the germ level, but just, just think about a theater. There's two doors, right? Especially with all these mass shootings and stuff. And I'm, you know, and I'm totally a two way person, you know, you should totally have a gun. I feel like you should be trained properly and all that stuff. But it's, it's just like, you do have to look at what happens in reality objectively. And it's just like, why would you put yourself in that type of situation in the present day? You know, it just doesn't seem like it, it, the risk to reward is just not there, you know, and especially now, you know, with coronavirus, where it's just like now the common enemy could be the person sitting next to you, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, you could be caring. It's like you said, really going to enlighten people on the existence of bacteria and germs and viruses, just all that. Well, I think it's more viruses and bacteria just because I think everyone's already kind of aware of bacteria. I heard a lot about bacteria growing up. It was always bacteria. You know, this cleans bacteria up and you got to worry about bacteria in your canned food. And there was just a lot of bacteria talk when I was growing up. Nobody ever talked about viruses when I was growing up. I learned about viruses in college. When I was in like just regular high school, and there was really not very much on viruses in any type of capacity. So when I got really sick with SARS in college from a Japanese girl I was dating, uh, it totally changed my life. I looked into viruses. I figured out how pathogens spread, and it fucking astonished me how I lived before that point. I looked back on the disgusting heathen I was before that point, and I was like, I should have died seven times from the way I – I never washed my hands. I never did anything, dude. I was fucking foul. Well, it's an interesting argument, you know, out there, you know, the idea of being hypochondriac versus the exact opposite where you're just a total savage, right? (laughs) But – it, it, there is an interesting argument to be had, you know, because I, I talked about, you know, we, you know, off the mic, we talked about this idea of, you know, one goes down, we all go down. This intrinsic, almost primal uh, necessity in humanity to um, make sure everyone suffers the same way, you know, mm-hmm. and in bacterial sense, and in, in, in this case, more of, you know, a, a real sense of a, a, a viral sense is that if the individual gets it, I don't, I'm not really going to make too much of it. You know, maybe I'm sick. Maybe I'm not, I'm just going to go outside, you know, Oh, I'm not doing too much. You know, they, they try to rationalize their activities, you know, to say, well, I'm not the problem, you know, <laughs> whereas so, but they're serving a purpose in a way, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And some other people say, because if it's not that big of a threat, you know, cause you never really know. We always find things out after the fact, you know, we're always saying certain diets are good. And then next year they're not, we're always saying these supplements are all right. And then finding out they cause really bad problems with your kidneys or whatever the fuck, you know, goes on or, you know, we don't put lead in paint anymore. You know, we slowly find things out, but nonetheless, it's like these types of people serve a purpose because they're spreading uh, something that doesn't kill you. 
And that's all I'm focusing on, right? And now it causes all kinds of problems. Tons of people are dying. You know, it affects other people more than others. But nonetheless, when you look at it on a real uh, universal level, I guess you could say, is that these people, I, uh, funny enough, are actually ensuring life <laughs> more than you think. You know? Uh, well, okay. I don't. I don't know if I buy that. Did you hear the story about the woman that went into a grocery store and licked every single item in the grocery store? Well, and this is where the argument comes in, right? Because humans have become too self-aware. You know, or I like, think it was a guy, and, but and, he, and, he got arrested for terrorism. You know that? Good. He got a. Fucking, he's a bioterrorist. They fucking arrest that motherfucker. Him. Should man. arrest that motherfucker. <laughs> well, I'm not talking about activities like that. I'm talking about that just people that are that, savages and never wash their hands ever well yeah that and just even the people that do do all that but still make contact with you know maybe they're the type of people that won't do anything they'll totally self-isolate right but they'll they'll rationalize that one contact with mm-hmm. someone even though they sh- even though deep yeah. down they know they shouldn't but they do because they just they're human they have right. to they want right. to see somebody they got to get something it's 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 whatever it is it's just you know it's going to happen. It's so human. You know, it's just the way we are. It, it is. And you're never going to be so self-sustaining to the point where you're going to be able to shelter in place. That's fucking crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I kind of agree with you. Like, I have no problem with people that want to be savages and shit. But, you know, if you pass me that joint, I'm probably going to turn it down if you don't wash your hands. You know what I'm saying? And it's cool if other people don't care. But... I would never want to live like that because, man, you you have no idea how fucking disgustingly covered your hands are in fucking so much shit. And even if you <laughs> wash your hands a lot, they're still covered in shit. Really, all you're doing is reduction. You're always just doing reduction because the nature of human existence, it's impossible. There is no such thing as a perfect system for avoiding germs and pathogens. You can just use common sense and do what you can. But still, we're just talking about little two, three, four percents off the bottom line. You're not making that huge of a difference ever. And that's kind of the fallacy and like the myth. And I don't fool myself into thinking that like some people do like that. You know, I knew a person that they would not shake hands. They would not ever make any contact with someone's lips. Like they would never share a joint. They would never do anything, period. Except when they go to the store, they will touch the doorknob to the store. Single thing that is public. (laughs) And they will then touch (laughs) their face and lick their fingers. And I'm just like, listen, wait, what, what? So you care that much about not shaking someone's hand because of germs, but then you're licking the doorknob? It's crazy how humans just, like you said, they they do all this stuff, and then they make one like thing they do that's totally goes against everything else they're saying, and they just somehow justify it in their mind. I'm not sure how that works, but that is one of the biggest wastes of time ever. Like If, if you do that, just take a look in the mirror and save yourself a lot of pain in your life, and just go one way or the other. Don't don't waste your time doing all these steps and then lick the doorknob. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just it, 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 you could look at it like it's a stupid person doing it, but I think that's wrong. No, I don't it's, think it's just I don't a, think they're inherently stupid. I think no. it's just something 
that everyone does. It's cognitive. And it might not even be germs. You you know, it's funny, you know, we're just talking about in this way. Someone might be a total perfect germaphobe. You know, they're not paranoid. They're not what about Bob type shit. You know, they, they just wash their hands appropriately like they should every single instance they sh- in, in which they should. And then they just they're really crazy about something else in life. You know, it, it just it's mm-hmm. just what we do. Yeah, it is. It is. Humans are fucking crazy. And that's why we live in the crack cellar. But uh, <laughs> that's why I shelter myself two doors down. <laughs> so uh, just back jumping back to Doom Eternal a little bit. How surprised are you so far with like the quality compared to Doom 2016? Because I kind of was expecting this to have a drop off. And if anything, I think it's blowing Doom's 2016 out of the water so far. What do you think overall? Yeah, I mean, I think it's blowing it pretty much out of the water. There's a couple like minor grievances I have, you know, like the user interface, I think is... I didn't notice it until I saw our brother playing 2016 because he's trying to get caught up. Mm-hmm. But the user interface from 2016 compared to Doom Eternal is super cluttered. Super cluttered. Like, I almost appreciated how clean the 2016 uh, game was. So hmm. that was just one thing I picked up on. And Interesting. I think the other thing was is I'm, su- I'm surprised with how... Um, theatric this this game is yeah so far like i don't i didn't expect that from do I'm, I'm not quite sure if i think it's a good thing or if it's a bad thing because uh, i i want doom to mm-hmm. be like a this pure this purest type fps formula and but i i, I also don't want to put it on the pedestal but I, at the same time that's what i expect from doom and yeah. yet i'm getting this almost near like actual story cutscene driven game that you see from a lot of modern shooters and i'm just like eh, this doesn't belong here what's going on <laughs> yeah i i feel your worry but i feel like it's one of those things where right now we're fine well at least where i'm at so you're a little further and we don't want to talk spoilers or anything but i'll just say that so far for me the cutscenes haven't been that intrusive. They've been really good. What's happened in them has been... I really love the way that this game is digging into the R-rated horror rather than PG-13. Because I had a weird feeling based on the Joe Rogan interview uh, with the art director of Doom Eternal. He was Hugo kind Martin. of like tr- trying to like sell- pitch it as a kid's game. And it was really weird. And the he tone was He did a very all- weird perspective on the game when he was just like, no cussing. Yeah, but we'll let you rip a demon's eyeball out of their forehead and shove it in their fucking mouth. Like, uh, that's that's kid friendly. Okay, okay, I'm not following, but go on. And and he he says that the violence is cartoony and all this stuff, and I'm like, okay, I'm expecting PG-13 Doom kind of when I start playing this. And the first level is like has some of the darkest shit that's ever been in a Doom game just in the very first level. And the tone is super dark. The gore is super realistic and fucking disturbing. I, I don't understand this art director guy. I guess he's just trying to gaslight the public. <laughs> I don't really know yeah, what yeah. that was honestly, about. <laughs> honestly, it's a good point you bring up because now that you, you say that, that's a good strategy. They're just like, well, how can we pretty much get the media not to try to drive down the sales of our game. Well, we'll just run PR campaigns where we're pretty much praising how much we didn't cuss or how much we <laughs> did do and not what we didn't do. <laughs> yeah. It's a good idea. It's a strong method. 
Well, I, I think that combined with the coronavirus definitely gave them a sales boost because oh, yeah, uh, dude. I know a lot of people playing Doom Eternal way more than played Doom 2016. So to me, anecdotally, it's uh, looking pretty good for them. For sure. I mean, they got all the people, they got all the dads and the moms and, and everybody that works super like a crazy amount, right? Mm-hmm. That are gamers, but they just don't have the opportunity to game anymore. All those people are playing that backlog of video games or the current hotness, whatever they feel like, right? I mean, fuck, dude. Our brother's playing Final Fantasy IX and Deus Ex <laughs> and... uh admirable. W- what else was he playing? He's just jumping all over the place to games. That's <laughs> you pretty know? cool. Yeah, it is definitely that time of year, isn't it? <laughs> I guess, man. Like, Oh, shit. Kind of wish this happened once a year, right? <laughs> <laughs> the crack cellar goes dark. We wish Corona pox upon you once a year so that we can game more. <laughs> yeah, but it's funny, you know, because... Send all your emails he, to Broadcaster Nichols. Still on the idea of gaming under this viral season we have, I took the opportunity to finally put some shells on my Joy-Con controllers. Now, you'll know if you're a Switch owner or you've been wanting to own a Switch that you only have two options. You got that matte, sexy black, or you got that LGBTQ red and blue. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I, I think the red and blue is pretty cool. Not saying LGBTQ2 is not cool. <laughs> Q2, Q, A. You phobe. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. These Joy-Con shells I got in see-through plastic. And uh, RGB and yellow, I guess, RGBY color scheme for the buttons. It kind of is like a throwback to those old school phones. Remember the phones, the corded phones you could get in see-through plastic? You see all the inner workings of the phones? Yeah, those were like popular when I was in like ninth grade, I think. <laughs> yeah, that's what it reminds me of, you know? I just see all the I see the, the PCB board and... Uh, uh, all the circuitry and the copper for the antennas and stuff like that. <laughs> it's pretty cool. But this is what I will say after the fact. It was not worth it. It took, and I've worked on, I've probably repaired over, I've probably repaired thousands of phones, if I'm being serious. I probably have, I don't know how many I've repaired, but I repaired phone for five years, right? Yeah. And I will say putting these Joy-Con controllers wasn't difficult. At all, it, I would say it's probably three out of five stars. It's medium. But at the same time, it took me about two hours because of how delicately it was arranged. Maybe that time will go down as I as I try it again because I'm actually going to return them and get a different color because I'm just I don't like it. But it, I, I just don't know, man. It, it's just. I probably would never do it again if like I had a new system two years from now or whatever and I saw that there was custom shells online or something like that. It'd make me second guess doing it because for 30 bucks, you're like, oh man, what a deal. Have a custom fucking controller, 30 bucks. That's dope as fuck, man. And it's cool little little project I can do. I don't know, man. 30 bucks plus 80 bucks in labor. If you were to have someone else do it, I'm cool. <laughs> yeah. That's... But it, 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 it kind of put me into this world of custom mods for uh, console hardware. Because hmm. I definitely won't go back to matte black. That's what I will say. I'm definitely going to get a different color I can live with more. 
And I also didn't like the feel of the buttons. And that's something you got to worry about too, is that. Oh, that's uh, the biggest worry is the buttons. Yeah, for sure. It's like the mechanism for the buttons stays the same underneath the shell, but the buttons themselves, the plastic, the consistency, the the bend, if you will, Mm -hmm. I don't know what it really is that can change. And I picked up on it immediately. And I kind of was, I felt stupid because I didn't test them before I put it all together. You know, after everything was put together, I went to go play it and I was like, oh, these buttons are significantly shittier than my OEM buttons. Yeah. Yep. That's that's why I don't do stuff like that. I learned my lesson with the Mad Cats controllers back in the late 90s. That's It's never worth it. You just pay a couple extra bucks, you get the official version, and you get, yeah. you get that button feel that you need. Especially in like fighting games and stuff where the buttons are just paramount. There's no bigger genre of game that defines how important your button feel is as a fighting game. Yeah. I think a control altogether, as far as the controller apparatus you're using for a fighting game, I think should just be 100% what you want. Yeah. You know, like it, even the, the outer shell, the plastic material, if it's matte or is it gloss, is it, does it perform well with the sweat if you're a sweaty person? The, 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 if you're using, um, what do they call those? like actual competition fighting stick uh, controllers. <laughs> yeah. If you're using one of those, there's so many different um, types of ways the joystick moves, you know, it's, there's all kinds of shit to think about. Indeed. Now I want to play fighting games. Now I want to go play <laughs> Guilty Gear. <laughs> yeah. God, we need a new Guilty Gear soon. Well, broadcaster Nichols, are you ready for a preview of Candyman? Uh, Yeah. What's that? You want more crack seller? <laughs> this is good. Join your lords on Twitter at the crack seller and facebook.com slash the crack seller. Hey, you over there. Are you a straight up Chad or a strong woman? Well, you can find us on Apple Podcasts and your favorite podcasting app. Or if you're a straight up beta cuck, find us on YouTube with the rest of the cloud chasers. And we're back with our preview of Jordan Peele's Candyman. Broadcaster Nichols, have you seen any of Jordan Peele's movies? Yes, I'm a connoisseur of Peele's work, actually. I have watched each one of his films maybe seven to eight times. <laughs> uh, you no, poor, haven't. poor fool. <laughs> I haven't seen anything. I wanted to see Get Out, but I just never gotten around to it yeah get out is sort of like a m night shamalani i guess but in a much more like racial way <laughs> i guess is the way <laughs> to put it <laughs> it's it's a very hard to describe movie it's pretty good but it's not even really a horror movie it's sort of like a pseudo horror movie whereas his other movie that's a horror movie us was i felt more like a comedy and Really, if you dig deep into it, it was just like a a social justice, like submarining of it was a submarining of social justice into a horror premise where they're basically trying to like say, oh, you're all privileged and you don't think that you you think you earned your privilege. You didn't earn anything. You're all just lucky is like a sort of something like that where, you know, okay, (laughs) 
it's one of those things where it's not going to age well. It's, don't you want to make a movie that 50 years from now people are going to be able to watch and say that's a classic? Because all this crap that you're putting in that's political in 2020 is just – it's going to age like milk and it's really sad that every fucking person has to do that now. Yeah, that's just the the theme of our culture right now, I'm afraid. But you know what? I think it's going to die with uh, the viral outbreak. Oh, shit. So. The cracks of the door is open. I got a good feeling about this. (laughs) Yeah. Well, so Candyman is probably in my top three horror movies of all time, up there with uh, the original Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, I'd have to think about what the third would be, but it's definitely Nightmare on Elm Street and Candyman in, in two of the top three slots. You have seen the original Candyman. Did you ever watch it with me? Yeah, that was actually one of the films you guys like made me watch. Okay. And I was like terrified. Yeah. You guys made me watch it. <laughs> I had a feeling that you watched it with me, but it's been so fucking long. I wasn't sure if I was just imagining it. So, so yeah, uh, this is a classic. And... I am very concerned because I don't like seeing – I sound like a broken record right now, but I feel like all of the hollowed things from my childhood are systematically being destroyed. And Candyman is one you would never think would happen if, you know, five years ago you told me what of all the horror movies you love is the one you least expect to ever get another sequel. I would have named Candyman. By far, I would have named Candyman. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, totally. I agree. I thought that Candyman was just going to sink with the times. I did yeah. not think it was going to be revived. Well, no, it was so of the 80s. Like, I, I think it came out in 91 or 92. But if 92. you but if you really look at it, it's such a of the 80s sort of visual grit and uh, premise and just like the way they displayed the horror and they did all the effects. It In its heart, it was an 80s horror movie, even though it yeah. technically came out in the 90s. And Tony Todd is a legendary Candyman. This movie was super tight. It was just, it had a horrifying undertone to it where even when scary shit wasn't happening, you always felt the sense of dread looming over her, over her shoulders as she searched through this fucking, uh, projects looking for Candyman. And man, I really like some of what Jordan Peele does, but I really hate some of what he does too. And I'm just really hoping he doesn't take the, the downside of the Schwartz to my favorite horror movie. <laughs> you, know what I mean? you know, I've, I've analyzed the trailer quite a bit. It looks um, good. It, it definitely looks good. And it does. If one thing I noticed, because I'm always looking for those, those elements of, of, you know, culture, you know, like, is this going to inject something that is this going to totally take mm-hmm. away from the movie? But if there's on, the only thing I could really see is that, they were actually playing on some real premises because I'm, I'm assuming that um, I forget. I don't know his name, but the guy that played black Manta and uh, he's been in a few other things. Now he was, oh, uh, he Man- was doctor. He was Dr. Manhattan recently in the man in the, the Watchmen series. Yeah. Um, he was from black mirror but- too, from the the recent season where the two bros Ended up banging each other in the video game, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. An American classic. (laughs) Fucking, he is the baby at the end of the Candyman. 
Oh, he, wow. I didn't baby. even pick that. Up. Okay. Okay. He's he, for sure. For sure. Yeah. So did you, how did you pick this up? I'm very curious because I did well, not even I consider noticed this. It, I noticed it immediately. Like I just, cause I've, I've watched, I ro- I watched Candyman probably about two years ago, maybe three years ago now. Mm-hmm. And so it was pretty fresh for me. But soon as I saw him in him coming back to what is it? CD Grove or something like that. I, for, I always forget the name, but yeah, it's something like that, which is a real project. So it actually has a real yes. history, it, you know? Yeah. It, it, and so soon as I saw him actually go there, I'm just like, Oh, I bet you this is the kid grown up. And then I looked it up, of course, and sure shit, that was it. But it was obvious to me. I mean, anyone that's a fan of Candyman, like they're just gonna be like, well, why would this guy come looking for, for Candyman <laughs> in a fucking neighborhood he didn't even grow up in? Yeah. You know? Well, but then, but it was also a dead giveaway because the mom from the original movie is in, is in the trailer. As soon as I saw her, it, it flashed back to me. I was like, dude, that's the mom. It that's is? her. Yeah, dude, in the trailer wow. where she goes, she goes, you go, shh, we don't say that. Just Black don't, say don't that. crack. Holy That's shit. Her. She looks so yeah. young still. What the yeah, fuck, she, man? Yeah, she aged, she aged very well. Dude, but, wow. And then, then I went down the rabbit hole, right? Because then I was like, oh, dude, this movie's not, this is actually a real spiritual successor. And I No, not watched, a successor. This is a sequel. This, this is a true yeah, sequel uh, to yeah, Candyman, yeah. the original Candyman. Because they made the some thing. schlocky sequels. That uh, they're ignoring. I think Jordan Peele is only Good. acknowledging the original Candyman, and this is basically Candyman yeah. Two rebooted. I think, he, I think he's honoring the three, the first three, because the first three are actually a trilogy. So in the first one, what's her name, the blonde chick, that's like the main chick of the whole movie, she ends up turning into a ghost in like kind of a spiritual successor to Candyman in the second one, right? Say, say farewell to flesh or what? I forget what the name. Yeah. And I liked that movie, but but it was definitely nothing compared to the original Candyman. Yeah. But, but, but I think they're setting something up as a universal approach here. I'm not saying that he's launching some Candyman universe. I think he's just paying real homage to it in the fact that, there's going to be connection. I don't think he's disregarding any of the, at least the original. I don't think there's mm. any more past the original three. I never even saw the third one. Yeah. So I can't really say if he's acknowledging the third one or not, but I didn't see anything in there to make me think he's acknowledging Candyman yeah. too. Did you catch Tony Todd in the trailer though? No, I did not. Are you kidding? Yeah. Me? Yeah. So I didn't, I'll be honest. What? I'm, not, I'm not trying to claim anything. Are you I sure? Yep. I didn't fucking notice. I've it seen at all. that trailer right. six times and I didn't notice that dude. So I was reading an article about Candyman like a month ago, back in uh, February or something like that. And they brought it up. If you watch the trailer, when, uh, that I'm sorry, the main actor, I forget his name. I don't know his name, but when he's at some part in the trailer, when he's going around the car, there's like an SUV. He's walking around in the trailer and he looks into the back window and sees his reflection, and it's Tony fucking Todd, dude. The reflection is Tony Todd. Wow. I'm going to have to go <laughs> yeah. back and rewatch that now after we finish, because I, I totally did not notice that any of the times I've watched the trailer, and that's astonishing. Yeah, dude. Wow. Well, I'm yeah. glad, because I was really hoping Tony Todd would have a cameo in this. I think so, he's going to have more than yeah. me. Yeah. Now I'm thinking that he actually is reprising his role as Candyman, based off of what you're saying. 
we and this brings me to wow, the most good egregious part of the trailer to me is how much in the and I think you're going to agree with me here before I say it, but how much Hollywood gives away now in their trailer. I know. It's just so poor form. I watched that trailer and I instantly knew what the movie was about. I'm just like, dude, you just gave away the huge cliffhanger. And then I'm sure they got some mm. something else cooked away where they think is going to be a so, bigger surprise. So wait, wait, wait. But it's not going to happen. It's wait, not going to be Wait, 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 wait. Let's take a step back here. You think you know the big cliffhanger of this movie based on the trailer. So is what you think face? what you think that cliffhanger is is that the main character of this is Candyman. Is that what you think the cliffhanger is or whatever? Is that what you're saying? I, I, no, I don't think that's what the cliffhanger is. But well, what I think are you that's, saying then? I think that's the major premise of the movie, which should traditionally be the cliffhanger. They do imply that. And I, but what are you, t- what are you getting at with this whole cliffhanger business? Cause I didn't, I agree that they show too much in these trailers. And this one is kind of like middle of the road. I've seen worse and I've seen I, better. Maybe, maybe I should be worried. But what I'm saying is, is what traditionally should be the cliffhanger, and I think what everyone would expect to be the cliffhanger and would consider to be, I mean, substantial enough to be the cliffhanger in a movie is revealed in the trailer. And whatever the, you know, Jordan Peele and the other creative directors of that movie think is. But what do you think that high- is? I'm, I don't, I'm confused. I, I'm not, no, I don't. I don't know what it is, but I know it is something because they revealed. Oh, they revealed a... that he's he's Candyman in the trailer. That's my main point. Right. The fact that they show that he's becoming Candyman is like okay. Well, I thought that's what the whole point of this movie would be about, essentially. So now that you're showing that, you must have something up your sleeve, yes. which I am saying is not as good as they think it's going to be. Okay, I so that's a prediction. Okay. I think it's going to be the letdown of the movie where okay. it's just going to be like, okay, what's the real twist here? Oh, wow. Fair, fair <laughs> enough. Fair enough. But this is what I will say, being someone that has seen most of Jordan Peele's work. Uh, Jordan Peele is a Twilight Zone fan, and he does not – everything he does has a twist. He's like, like I said, he's like M. Night Shyamalan crossed with Tyler Perry. Like the way he makes movies is he does all black casts. He does black versions of premises and he combines Twilight Zone elements in everything he does. It's all Twilight Zone stuff. So with Candyman, I can guarantee you there is a big twist that you do not know from this trailer. I guarantee it. Like I would bet like 10K on it right now. Oh, yeah. I mean, for sure. For sure. I'm just saying that it's going to be a letdown. I, my gut Fair tells enough. me, and it's just based off Hollywood in general. Like, I don't trust their new ideas anymore, especially when they're revisiting old IP. You know, it's like, man, you just showed me something in this trailer that I thought would be the big whoa moment. And now I'm thinking, what is the big whoa moment? You should never have the audience asking that question in the trailer. Well, like you shouldn't reveal something that makes you go, Oh, hmm. you subverted my expectations. Yeah. Now I'm wondering what the fuck this movie's about. <laughs> well, I agree that if it were me, 
I would not have included the plot point that the main character is basically becoming Candyman. I the would not have put that done in. without it. It yeah. could have, and I don't think it was necessary to show, but he did. And to me, that's him. Like you said, kind of, he's setting up a red herring. He kind of wants you to go in thinking that you know the movie so that when he fucking shocks you with whatever his weird twist is, that you won't see it coming as much because you thought you had it figured out. I but think the that's red what he's herring, the, the red herring should be stumbled upon after the fact. In, yeah, and I agree. Right? I don't like this trail <laughs> the way they make trailers now. I totally agree with you. I'm just sort of playing devil's advocate a little bit and mainly just saying that with a lot of movies and a lot of creators, a lot of directors – I would almost agree with you that there's no way that the twist is going to be good or that there maybe even is a twist other than what they show in the trailer. A lot of movies, they show you the movie in the trailer, like legitimately the entire movie. And that's why I'm so confident about it. I'm willing to make a gentleman's bet right now that (laughs) when we do watch it and we do find out the twist, I'm willing to bet on my gut that it is not going to be as good as the twist they revealed in the fucking trailer. (laughs) (laughs) I just Interesting. I don't think I agree with you, but I see where you're coming from. But, well, here's the thing, you know, is that for me, when I noticed that the main character was the baby, or at least when it started churning in my head as an idea that he was the baby from the end of the the original movie, was when he got stung by the bee Yeah, in the field. When he got stung by the bee in the field, I was just like, that's weird that now I'm thinking Candyman knew he came and, and why is he coming after this character? Why is this character so important Bing. Oh, he's the kid from the original movie all grown up. Okay. Okay. This makes sense to me. And mm-hmm. then they pretty much tell you he's becoming Candyman. Now from an original viewer, I'd be like, man, that'd be the twist I'm looking for. Cause I wouldn't have thought of that unless right. they showed it to me. You know, they they just showed it to me. He's like, oh, Candyman chose him. Candyman became this, like, fucking ghost ethereal being, right, from the trailer's perspective, at least. You know, after they defeated him, he became this ethereal being you couldn't really defeat. He was just waiting to inhabit another host. And that's where my mind started turning. Because, I mean, it, it, I don't know. It just became obvious to me. And it was like, that would have been a great reveal marker right there alone. <laughs> So I'm really worried now that you're showing me that that means that in your mind, you're thinking you got some fucking some 357 (laughs) hollow point magnum round ready to fucking just, you know, tear open the scene. (laughs) And I I understand why you're skeptical, but based off of what I've seen from Jordan Peele and the fact that I'm pretty sure he is a legitimate Candyman fan, like he was a fan of the original, just like we were. So I think that he is going to treat this like his baby. I don't expect his C-level effort. I expect his A-level effort in this movie. And when you look at his A-level effort in the past, it has produced some of the best stuff since, like, The Sixth Sense, like, as far as twists go and uh, just basic (laughs) plotting. So... I, I'm gonna say I will take your bet. Uh, we won't, we'll, we'll bet 10,000 bison bucks. So, uh, uh, whoever. Bison bills. Bison (laughs) bills. bills. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll look forward to the outcome of that bet. (laughs) But, uh. Rest in peace, Raul Julia. (laughs) Too soon. So, uh, so yeah, it seems like, uh, Jordan Peele's basically become the Tyler Perry of horror. Like, he just keeps making these movies with all black casts that are straight up just 
super specific, almost like Alfred Hitchcock meets the Twilight Zone style classical horror. And I really appreciate it because one thing that I hate about social justice warriors is that they always want to take shit and they want to reboot it with other races. And it's like, hey, I love Spawn. Spawn is black. I love Blade. Blade is black. There are so many cool black superheroes that aren't just a fucking recolor of a different... It's so cringy. I think it's insulting to the races you're doing it to. Oh, we're not good enough for our own fucking content? That's how I'd look at it. But uh, I think that with uh, Jordan Peele, he has taken the good route, the way you do it. He's saying, hey, you know what? I agree. I am going to make original content with black actors and actresses, and it's going to be fucking good, and we're not going to be stealing shit and just coloring over shit. We're going to fucking do our own thing. And so far, other than the movie Us, which I thought was more of a comedy than a horror, and it was unintentional. uh, Other than that, I think he is just producing amazing shit. For sure. And I mean, his comedy was always hit and miss to me, but he's made some, he's always made good content. I mean, I don't think I've ever not been a fan of Jordan Peele. Mm. No, I think he was definitely the funny side of uh, Key and Peele, too, that, which was like kind of a Chappelle show ripoff a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you could say. Yeah, I thought I Jordan really followed was the best. Key too much. So I no, really he's not as good. Yeah, like they both went on to do their own things. And when you look at what Key has done and you look at what Jordan has done, it, it's fucking night and day different. Jordan Peele is killing it. My Keegan Michael Key is fucking just doing really D level movies and just really bad stuff. So I feel for him, uh, but he got he got his checks. So I don't really feel for him. The dude's rich, so fuck him. He's not as talented as Jordan Peele, uh, and that's fine. You know, not everyone is that talented. That guy, you know, he doesn't all. He can't always produce a winner. Everyone has something bad, and. Man, if you look at his best stuff, and you should watch Get Out, because I'm telling you, Get Out is one of those seminal movies. It's a movie that you have to see. It's that good. Huh. That's interesting. But uh, all that being said, I'm really hoping there's no cringy orange man bad shit in this movie, because I feel like Jordan Peele is at a place where... He he protects the purity of his work, but he also is one of those people that's very politically left. And I just worry that he's going to get tempted and we're just going to get some cringy shit like in the Jay and Silent Bob reboot that just like pulls you out of the movie. Yikes. Don't remind me of that movie. God, what a letdown. <laughs> yeah. But uh, what do you think? Uh, the trailer didn't seem too gory there was some blood but it wasn't there wasn't anything too crazy do you think this is gonna be on the gory side or do you think he's gonna take it more suspenseful i think he's gonna take it more suspenseful no doubt i don't think there's a lot i think gore the pendulum has swung away from gore for now i think there was a lot of want for gore porn as i would put it you know out there in the early 2010s you know like but now i think a lot of people are looking for suspense i don't think a lot of people are looking for people to get ripped in half because Mm -hmm. it's so it's so real now 
You know, yeah. it's not like fucking Texas Chainsaw Master, you know, where they <laughs> yeah. had to they had to use real art and creativity to make the shit look even semi real. And at that point, you still were kind of freaked out. Now, CGI is so good and uh, actual prosthetics are so good that it, it, I mean, this shit is just nasty to watch. It is it's just like it's brutal. It's just like, I don't want to watch close to two hours of this this no. is fucked up <laughs> no and that's one thing that I always appreciated about the 80s horror that was gory because in the 80s horror was very gory but they did it in spots it wasn't just like a hundred percent coming at you like Saw that's my problem with Saw and like the new gory movies Hostel also is kind of like yeah. that where it's just like it's too much for too long without the breaks and with the way I love the formula with Nightmare on Elm Street with Freddy Krueger, because you would have a buildup, you'd have a buildup, then you'd have a kill scene, but then you're back to the buildup again with the next kid. And it just goes on and on in this. It's kind of almost like a game loop pattern in a video game. Yeah, and when you sure. do it the right way in horror, it takes the the pedal you know, you're pushing the gas and you just pull off the gas at the perfect time, just break just a little bit, just enough so that the next gas pedal push feels good and doesn't just feel like you're in a fucking ride that won't stop. <laughs> yeah, it also just desensitizes, you know? Mm -hmm. you, it, it, you just, you're like, okay, I mean... Did we really need to what's, see all that? <laughs> yeah, what's what's the real fucking scare of this movie now that you showed me that you're just going to rip people in half and show me every visceral detail of it? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, is that the, is that the real twist or not twist, but um, cl uh, crutch here? Like, is that what you're crushing on? <laughs> yeah, and like you, I'm thankful that the whole gore porn fad has gone away because it really killed horror movies for me for a long time like i took a i think i feel i took like a decade long break from horror movies because they just all were like that for a while and thankfully the pendulum has shifted the other way yeah i think saw started it to be honest i think it, it was did. saw saw really took the genre out of control it did it was a, a watershed moment. <laughs> it was a watershed moment. <laughs> I bet you the director of Saw would love that comment. He's like, wow, that's probably a tear in his eye. He's like, a watershed moment of horror. <laughs> oh, shit. Uh, one, thing, one thing I really am upset about with this trailer and the movie in general is that they're using a Beyonce song. Ah, I just really, reminded me. I really got upset by that. It's it's really? I don't I don't like Beyonce. I don't Hold like on. let me blow your mind here real quick. I don't like associating you... pop music to Candyman. That's what I'm saying. On, I don't like bro. the association at all. But <sighs> Okay. But Sell me song... on this. Sell me on this <laughs> broadcaster Nichols. <laughs> say my name, say my name. I get it. Come on, it's I get it. But on top of that. Here's something that will blow your fucking mind, right? What is Beyonce's cult called? I have no fucking idea. <laughs> the Beehive. Oh, for the love of Christ. Are you serious? Is that a real Boom! thing? Is that yes, a real thing? Is, okay, I now sure. approve. You you officially sold Boom. me on it. I'm sold. That is fucking crazy that her fucking fan group is called the Beehive. And, that is too much. Okay, <laughs> okay I agree and, with yeah, you now. That's I agree. what you call that's what you call deep cuts in real well, directing. Right? That's called serendipity is what that's called. Right. That's insane. Hey, here, let me take you another layer deep. All right. 
Did you notice TLC was up in that fucking trailer? They got Beyonce and TLC. Wow. What was the song that they were playing? I didn't I didn't even notice TLC, so I can't I can't tell you. Writing on the wall. Oh shit. Boom. Okay. Jordan Peele, you know what? I'm gonna respect your choices on this and I'm gonna move forward without judgment for now. <laughs> exactly. Like I had mad respect because you know, we have one sister, and you know, I don't really get a lot of you know, exposure to this type of music, but there's one thing that stands up in my stands out in my childhood for as far as nineties R and B goes, is Beyonce and TLC and uh Destiny's Child and stuff like that. Like the black R and B was actually surprisingly as a white nineties kid, black R and B was a huge part of my childhood. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I know totally, so, dude. I remember so... playing Boys to Men on my fucking portable jukebox fucking what are those things called boombox i <laughs> fucking carrying these boombox like 80 fucking double d batteries inside of it <laughs> play, <laughs> playing boys to men fucking cassette tapes thinking i was a pimp macking on girls when i was like seven years old <laughs> had the jinko jeans and your adidas jacket on you're just well, it was a little back- bit what were those hats <laughs> that like were kind of like golfing hats but they didn't have the button Oh, they were God. just like straight sewn that way, and people would wear them backwards. I know you had one. You thought you were the shit, like yeah, wearing one of those for a long time. I, <laughs> yeah, dude. What? <laughs> I, I forgot about that hat here, until you just brought it up. That's hilarious. I totally remember the hat you're talking about. Those yeah. were like those were like hats that like cabbies in New York wore in the eighties. Like yep, they're, yep, they were yep. just, like, they were like this very specific hat that I'm not sure where it came from, but, uh, yeah, you know, I knew my way around a boys to men album <laughs> back in my time. Such a nineties look <laughs> over is. baggy shirt pants <laughs> with one of those hats. And you kind of like held your arms like you were a philosopher, you know, you're just like, hmm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, but it, it does seem like. He's doing this in good faith as a fan. I don't feel like this is some sort of manufactured reboot to make money like a lot of these are. This feels more like an effort of love. And to for that reason, I'm going to forgive a lot of choices I might harshly judge early on. And I'm going to go in completely open to whatever he's selling me. And I'm and this is coming from someone that reveres the original. So uh, any other thoughts on... Uh, Candyman before we head to our review. Don't play around don't play around with that shit. Don't say it five times, motherfuckers. Don't say it five right. times. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Tony Todd gonna come for you. <laughs> Tony Todd is real. Oh god. Oh, I'm, I'm on so... top of that, to finalize this in the spirit of shouting out to Tony Todd. I know you haven't seen this movie yet, so I'm gonna remind you of it. I'm gonna remind anyone else that hasn't seen it. The original Candyman has a fucking phenomenal movie out called Sushi Girl. Look it up. He is, I don't want to reveal anything oh, of why he's in the movie, but oh, it's a good, it's a really good movie with like a surprising premise. And he just plays a character you wouldn't expect, but nonetheless, he's in it and he's right in the beginning. So he's right up in front of you and he's in it for quite some time. And he does a phenomenal role. I think he does a good job and, just go watch it. That's the only thing for me that stands out for Tony Todd recently that I can shout out because I think Tony, Tony Todd, his voice is just super iconic to me, you know, Leatherface, yeah, it is Candyman, and uh, Halloween. Michael Myers really are like the, the, those are like the, the triforce of horror for me. 
in my early childhood. Those are the three figures that really scared the shit out of me that kind of warped my my mind and my capacity to understand what horrors were about back in the day. I remember, um, you know, just always hearing you guys watching horror movies and stuff like that. And it didn't matter what it was because I was maybe I was just too scared to watch it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But those were the three that like made up the construct of horror to me as an early kid, as an early child. Yeah. Yeah. For me, it's definitely Candyman, Nightmare on Elm Street and Hellraiser. That's my holy trilogy. Yeah, ooh, cl- and uh, th- it's, it's Barker, tough. Man. It's tough because the 80s was such a golden age for horror. There's so much good horror from the 80s and even early 90s that it's hard to like really cl- make a list. <laughs> Clive Barker actually did Candyman too, right? He actually orig- he wrote the original story. He didn't direct it. But Clive Barker actually uh, yeah, wrote yep, the right. original story of Candyman. It is a Clive thing. Barker, yep. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> kind I of makes, so. Kind of makes, it makes sense, sense why, now yeah. when you think about <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, that guy's yeah. a legend. <laughs> he is, yeah. And uh, the Clive Barker style of horror is just that's my shit. I just love his rules. style. It's just yeah. perfect. But uh, I guess my final thought is. I'm just really glad that he seems to be doing this in good faith and that we're not getting a reboot with like a new, it's so easy to just hit the reboot button and fucking recast everyone hipper, make everything a little more PG 13 instead of R and make everything, you know, more Chinese friendly, whatever you want to call it. There's all (laughs) kinds of ways to put it, but these movie reboots are really getting out of control. And I love the fact that Jordan Peele said, no, I'm doing a fucking sequel. This is a true honored sequel that is not going to cheapen the original movie it's going to hopefully enhance it and stay true to it and when i heard Candyman say i am the writing on the wall in this fucking trailer i got fucking goosebumps and i was sold i'm giving this a thumbs up a big big thumbs up and i pray he doesn't let me down what say you broadcaster nichols I wish I had four thumbs up so I could give those titties <laughs> four thumbs up. <sighs> you just tested positive. Rest in peace, Charlie Murphy. And we're back with our review of Altered Carbon Season 2. And the creators of this television series describe Season 2 as the following... Season 2 finds Takevichi Kovacs, the lone surviving soldier of a group of elite interstellar warriors, continuing his centuries-old quest to find his lost love, Quilchrist Falconer. After decades of planet-hopping and searching the galaxy, Kovacs finds himself recruited back to his home planet of Harlan's world with the promise of finding Kel. Haunted by his past and responsible for investigating a series of brutal murders, Kovacs is stunned to discover his new mission to solve the crime, and his pursuit to find Quell is one and the same. With the help of his loyal AI, Poe, Kovacs must now partner with new allies to outwit his enemies and find the truth. Who is Quilkist Falconer? Broadcaster Nichols, as usual, we will start with our non-spoilers section. I will begin by saying Anthony Mackie is surprisingly good in this show. He is a decent Kovacs. What is what say you, Broadcaster Nichols? I would concur, Two Spirited Pig One. I would concur. Anthony Mackey has honestly 
you know, I don't, I, I don't want to sound cringy or anything because I honestly don't know the guy and I don't even want to relate to the guy. <laughs> but he's, there we go. He, when you when you see his acting and you kind of see his interviews and stuff, he kind of he just comes off as an all right guy. You know, he seems like someone that isn't full of himself and appreciates life in the good aspects, you know? So I kind of respect him in that way, but his acting, ah, I have not been a fan of, you know, there's been some, some roles he's done where I've really questioned two roles that I think he's done really well are pain and gain with Mark Wahlberg and Dwayne, the rock Johnson. It was a fucking excellent movie, which I thought he was a part of. And then, this new series, season two of Altered Carbon, were the the two biggest projects of his that stand out to me. I so can't believe that they watching made this, him Captain I, America. I yeah, just, sorry to interrupt you, Broadcaster Dickles, but yeah. I am upset that he is now Captain America. I don't think it's going to last as long. As you know, I'm a comic connoisseur, and I kind of know the back end of things, and I just don't think that's long lasting. I, but nonetheless, that's not what we're talking about. <laughs> Andy Mackie surprised me. In season two, he really did. I I, I went in thinking, man, this, there's no way he's going to be able to replace Joel Kinnaman, who, ironically enough, I wasn't a fan of Joel's work either <laughs> pre Alter Carbon. I mean, I watched his new RoboCop, which I thought was it was all right. It was it wasn't good. The best. It was I think good. It was good. It was good. It was good, right? But I wasn't. If, if there was one criticism of the whole movie. Right, it, it would have been Joel himself. I didn't think he was the best actor in the whole movie. <laughs> so think, going into season one, I was like, "Oh shit, it's Joel Kinnaman." <laughs> I don't. Know I think he could have done better, and I think he definitely was better in Altered Carbon than he was yeah. in RoboCop. But I didn't think he was bad. I just thought that. No, God, it's so hard to live up to the original RoboCop, dude. Like, the original RoboCop is a movie that transcends time and space. It is just one of those movies where if you go back and watch it right now, and by the way, listeners, uh, we will be reviewing the RoboCop director's cut with the brutal extended murder scene that I've heard legends about that I've never we do seen. We need to review that. That is we a will. promise we are going to keep, all right, because it I... Is coming want to watch that <laughs> <laughs> but but going back to the point you can, it's hard to fucking live up to that movie uh and i think he did an okay job uh living up to it, it wasn't the best and he has done better work he also is really good in uh, house of cards joel yeah have All you right. seen house of cards i have yeah he was uh was- the politician guy and towards the end like i want to say season four or five he was like uh, the competition running for. Oh yes. Yeah. Fuck! I told you. That's when the series lost. Uh, That's when it started to go tasty. downhill. Yeah. Yeah. It I, is. I really started to. He was lose good though. Cognitive uh, yeah. attention to the series at that point. Yeah. But uh, it's yeah. I mean, it's. So do you think Anthony Mackie isn't as good as him as a Kovacs? No, let's, let's state that no, right I now. Think, Who's the I better Kovacs? I think they're just as good. I think he's just as good, to be honest. And, you know, I, I'd say just personally, hmm. I'm more a fan of Joel's representation of uh, Kovacs. But when I look at them objectively, side by side, I'd say they almost replicated the same feel and style. They perfectly. did. Yeah. You know, they both came in as actors that you weren't quite sure they were going to fit the role. 
and you were subtly surprised by how well they fit. And after you watch the whole series, you're just like, man, they nailed it. They really nailed it. Like, I mean, it's almost like they were fan of the books, you know, type how well they nailed it type of shit. You know, I wouldn't be surprised. I would not be surprised. And it but, also, uh, it also goes into, because, you know, Anthony Mackie didn't have too much, uh, actual acting to, com- to compete with. But in season one with Joel, and this is the only thing I could really give Joel a one up on, is that he had to act with uh, James Purfoy, Purefoy, whatever, however you say his name. But he was kind of the he was a uh, Bancroft from season one, Lawrence Bancroft. Remember the like the main guy, the mm-hmm. main villain. And I'm I'm kind of a fan of James Purfoy, so when I saw him as the villain or the protagonist, the antagonist, if you will that was kind of what I was comparing Joel Kinnaman's acting with, you know, he has to actually compare himself to James a little bit because they're kind of competing in the narrative. But with Anthony Mackie, he kind of just ran with it because there was no one really to live up to Anthony Mackie's level of acting. That's an interesting observation. Yeah. I think the acting was really good all around and especially from Poe, and Poe was great in season one too, but Poe was special in season two. And we're we're not going to go into why because I would be in the spoilers. But I would just give the nod and say Poe was fucking amazing this season. And then Jaeger, you know, the whole series builds up to uh, Joel's character uh, Kovacs kind of figuring out this crime syndicate slash mystery, and I forget the name of the city, but um, James Purfoy's elite rich mastermind character that has this like scheme running where he seems to be like the philanthropist figure in the city right that seems to be the main the main grind of the season one and then after that all comes boiling down you you really figure out that to me at least that it's Kovacs trying to find some type of solace with his relationship with his sister and Uh, Jaeger, his mentor slash father figure, being a really evil motherfucker in the end of the scheme and the end yeah. of thing. He was like, son of a bitch. I looked up to this guy that's a fucking asshole. <laughs> right. Well, if I were to only have seen the show and I just erased my book knowledge, if I were to honestly say who I would say the villain is, I would say number one, the villain is Lawrence Bancroft. And number two, it wouldn't even be Jaeger. It would be Raylene. So I would go. Lawrence, Raylene, then Jaeger. And even the Jaeger is so... Really? Because it's so brief and it's like not even really a part of the plot really as far as you know. Like the way they present it in season one is just kind of like, well, here's this little thing that's a thing, but like you would think that that's not going anywhere. I don't know. It kind of stands out to me, you know, because I always look at Lawrence's character as a, a planetary problem. You know, and when you look at Alter Carbon, it's a universe type series to me. There's going to be multiple planets. There's going to be multiple interests. There's multiple characters that have more interest in certain planets and stuff. So when they're in their perspectives, these problems seem more pertinent than others, right? And when I look at Lawrence's character, it just seemed more of a planetary problem. Like he was just the minor villain of the series for that planet. And then at the end of the series, Jaeger's character kind of reveals himself as more of a 
universal problem because he wants to mentor Kovacs or re-sleeve him or whatever you in whatever perspective you draw from unless you've seen just season one or season two. But nonetheless, mm-hmm. you get this idea that Jaeger has bigger ideas than just one planet. Let's uh talk a little bit about the budget. What do you what do you think the budget was? Because to me it looked like it was reduced. I thought that season one looked a lot better. It felt higher budget. And I'm very surprised because based off of the books, I thought season two would have had the higher budget. Well, I think season two did have a higher budget. You do? No doubt. No doubt but it okay. probably mostly went to Anthony Mackie. Anthony Mackie is a Disney actor. MCU. It's been in a few other movies. Well, that... Too. That actually is a good insight. So basically, I'm talking about the effects budget and the set budget and the way they just shot the show. So I think you're right. I think that they had downgraded that stuff because they had to pay Anthony Mackie. I didn't even think of that. I don't think they downgraded it. I think it was just the – honestly, I think it was the more exposure to the – in season two, they had more scenes where CGI needed to be applied. Mm Mm-hmm. And in season one, they had a lot less. And so was, I think yeah. a lot of dollars went. I think there was a lot more dollar concentration per CGI scene in season one than there was in season two. And I think that's probably what you're noticing. Because like when it came down, like in season one, there was no need to fully CGI a fucking brand new alien asset. You know, something no one's ever seen. They had to make it up. Every pixel had to be generated. You know, like it was it, every dollar was paid. But in season one, they didn't have anything like that. They had a CGI, a space colony or the the flotilla, whatever you want to call it, of debauchery. Mm-hmm. But that's that's a stationary object that they had to mock up. I guess I guess what I'm saying is, is that there's a lot more money involved in season two in the CGI department than there is in season one, you know, combined with act Anthony Mack. Yeah. The main character. That's where their budget went for sure. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of hard to talk about that without spoiling it. So let's, let's move on. That's probably a bad one to talk about in the non-spoiler section, but I guess to me, I'm just going to say that some of the coolness with the season one, which uh, I'll say right now, uh, I like season one, the television show more than season two, but I like the book two more than book one. And it's a really weird thing, but I think it's just the way season one was portrayed to me was sort of magical. They just nailed season one, the way they took the book and sort of just glossed it up with the Blade Runner visuals. And it just had a really good mix of acting and character character actors that were just, they nailed all the roles. And I really loved Kovac's sister in season one. Like talk about a strong woman that she is like my fucking, uh, my blade runner wife is what I'm going to call her. And and I think she really catapulted season one up for me, just her portrayal of the character. But, uh, I'm just glad high concept science fiction is being made on TV. Now, all of a sudden, like we had this little glut for a while and now we have this show and we have the expanse and I, th- I think there's some more stuff coming down the pipeline, too. I heard that they're going to do new Battlestar Galactica, which will be really cool if true. And uh, Yikes. Well, you don't like Battlestar Galactica? Or are you just worried about the uh, 
the people making it. Never been a fan of Battlestar. Uh, okay. Well, I, I'm a huge fan of Battlestar. And uh, I think Ronald D. Moore is actually making the new series if it does get made. So he's the original creator. So it won't be some sort of like Star Trek Picard travesty. But uh, we'll save that for another episode. Whoa, dude. Spoilers. <laughs> uh, one, one more thing I'll say is some of the sets fell out of place uh, in season two with the rest of the world. Like, uh, you know, like the town square that they showed with the projection of... Uh, oh, you're talking about uh, the founder's daughter? Y- yes, but the, when they show her doing her little speeches as a hologram, that looks like something out of, like, Stargate SG-1. It's a really weird set that looks nothing like the rest of the city that they show at night with, like, the Blade Runner visuals. So, to me, it just kind of breaks breaks the fourth wall a little bit for me. I don't understand why they couldn't make it look a little bit more like the rest of the planet. But, uh, I think that's why they use that scene first. Because it so it wasn't so jarring for the rest of the series. They get it out of the way before the the scene president was set, and yeah. then they move into what you're used to. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're probably right because it was a little jarring, and it's another. When I talk about the budget, that's sort of another thing I'm kind of tying to it is that I feel like if they had a higher budget or if they had more money to spend, they would have done better on that part. And it's 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 a small gripe, but. Uh, Anything else you want to talk about in the non-spoiler section? Uh, I miss. I'm trying to remember her name. I'm trying to remember her name. God damn it! What's her name? Wait, are you talking? Oh, you're talking about the other the other waifu, right? Uh, Kristen Ortega, the Spanish the Spanish waifu. Yeah, dude, that that's it. You know what? I'm just a chauvinist pig. I like season one because fucking Ortega and fucking Raylene were like the fucking. The smoking hot twins no of sci-fi. Like, I think dude. that is Holy why she's one better. They had just two smoking hot bombshells oh. on the good and the bad sides. Yep. Bad side in season one, and you're just like your dick's hard the whole season. <laughs> <laughs> like, as soon as one goes away, the other shows up. <laughs> yeah, you know, you're like fuck. Yeah, season one really hit a sweet spot. I think it's just a really good season of television that got cut, and uh, I think season two overall is good too. Uh, I'm not trying to downplay season two. I think it's good, but I just think season one was special. Yeah, season one definitely just felt like it had a secret sauce. Yes, exactly. You know, it, it, it season two, I'm sad to say, doesn't have that feel. Yes. But it was still good. It was yes. still a good season. I would recommend anyone to go watch it, especially now in this Corona season. You got nothing better to do. Go fucking indulge in that season too. But it's it's just not season one. Yep, it isn't. Opinion. But uh, yeah. So okay, let's talk one more thing before we go to the spoiler section. There are three books for the Expanse. Uh, there is or the Expanse. <laughs> there are three books. <laughs> <laughs> flashback from two episodes ago there are three books for altered carbon the first one is called altered carbon and the second one is uh oh god like uh angel falls or uh tears of the angel something, <laughs> something. <laughs> i forget which one and then there's a third one uh called woken furies and that's it that's all the books that are out the third season is clearly going to be based off of Woken Furies because the first one was based off Alter Carbon. The second one was based off of the, the Angel one. 
what do you think does that mean season three is it do you think that's it or do you think that they'll actually just make original uh takeshi kovacs television only content past season three two things no i i don't think anything will be past the third season just based on the pattern and two i hope they don't i really truly hope they don't because that is the bane of fictional existence is taking an ip that catches fire and they're like oh shit we can make money with this and then they just bury it in the ground <laughs> and i really don't i really hope they don't do that with all the carbon cuz it's such a short series why why r- risk ruining the continuum of alter carbon or alter carbon you know it just seems so unnecessary there's so many other things you could risk catching fire risk spending money on and turning into a blockbuster it doesn't need to be an ip that's well respected and short and sweet you know like just don't do it it's the same th- it's why i fear the live action of cowboy bebop I respect yeah. the actor they got playing Spike. I got I have respect for some of the other actors they they have announced. I don't have respect for live action anime so far. I just I <laughs> everything I've seen, I just don't think there's a director that has gotten it. You know, like they get it. They're like, oh, this is the way you need to do anime and live action. I haven't seen a representation well, yet where I am a believer. <laughs> well, I'm going to shun your point a little bit because I think and that Bebop the... is one of my favorite animes. So when I see this live action and it's even minutely bad to me, I'm going to be heartbroken. <laughs> I, too, am worried about the Cowboy Bebop live action adaptation. But I will say that the Western live action adaptation of Death Note, I thought was really well done. And it took place it in Seattle, which was also really cool. And I'm biased because of that, because it took that place in my That was my, my favorite one town, so far. So. But it, it was good. It still was kind and, of cheesy. Well, dude, I'm going to tell you right now, Willem Dafoe is Ryuk. It cured any bullshit cheese you want to fucking throw at me for that movie. Like him as that role was God-given. That was like beams of light coming down from heaven. It was. It was a beam of light, but <laughs> you can't expect that, right, going into another Cowboy one. Cowboy No, you can't. You can't. You're right. <laughs> it's not like you're going to have fucking... Uh, God, fuck, what's his name from Frasier? God damn it. What's his name from Frasier? We're going into Frasier. But what if the guy from Frasier was Jet? <laughs> You know, that's the type of shit that would have me hook link, fucking just hook. Oh, God. I'd be on, like, you'd have me at that point. I'd be being reeled across the ocean at that point. I'd be ready to die. Fucking going, jettisoning into that boat of fucking that movie. But, oh, man. That's not the case. And I I just, I worry that one of my favorite animes of all time is about to, uh, Get the worst treatment that you yeah. can possibly find yourself in being well adapted to a live movie. I, I think that we have a better chance of it being good now than we did at any time in the past. Because I think in the past they were really bad. Really, really bad. I like laughed at them. I they were jokes. But Remember the Samurai X. <laughs> oh god. <laughs> They've gotten better recently. They just have. Like they're they're better. And some of them are still bad. Granted, but I'm going to say uh, the Death Note Western one and then the Bleach 
Eastern uh, live action that recently came out was also not the best, but was good. It was serviceable. It did. There were some really bright spots to it too. Uh, so yeah, I'm just going to say that, uh, uh, I think the cowboy bebop's going to be okay. It's a legendary anime. They're not, they don't want to tarnish cowboy bebop's name with a horror. Yes, they do. They do. So you don't have enough faith in the Academy yeah. of Hollywood to do this. Alright, they will definitely will ruin everything you share. Oh man. Alright. Well, I don't quite know how we got off into a tangent about Cowboy Bebop, but how about we go to our spoiler section for season two of Altered Garvin? We're just talking about Hollywood <laughs> taking things in a different entertainment medium and trying to live adapt them yes into a nightmare <laughs> indeed indeed there are many of those nightmares out there but uh luckily season two of altered carbon is not one uh overall broadcaster nickels pretty good season right absolutely yeah it was uh I thought a lack of of joel and and james purfoy and stuff like that, i thought it was really gonna lack but anthony mackie and um the guy that played carrera i don't know his name yeah, I, I, he was actually the standout for me. In the he whole was season. He he came and hit it out of the park. Yes, I agree. And it, it I was really so when we first uh, looked into season two of the television series being made and we heard that uh, our boy Michael Shanks was cast, but they didn't say by which character. Yeah, so it's God, I could go on a tangent about Michael Shanks, man, and. And some of the other great sci-fi actors that seem to get no respect at all, but it, it was it was a blessing, and it was also a curse that I saw Michael Shanks take the role that he did in season two. You know, I, at w- on one level, I was I'm just glad I'm happy to see Michael Shanks doing some sci-fi roles, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm 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 also happy to see that he still has the chops to do it. On the other hand, I'm just like, man, is this all they'll give you? Is fucking one-off roles that you get killed off in the first episode. Like, it, to me, your acting is more than that, and your nostalgia is more than that. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like you should be a respected sci-fi actor at this point. You know, like you put so much time into Stargate that when a sci-fi Andromeda becomes, too, he was and, like a main character sure. in Andromeda for a Definitely. long time. It just seems like almost disrespect to have a sci-fi show come out and be considered for a role. That's just a one-off, you know, on another hand, you're just like, you're happy to get the job and you're happy to get the money and, and be thought of. And on the other hand, you're just like, motherfucker, I'm Daniel fucking Jackson. Motherfucker. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree with you. I I wish he'd get his own show. Like he needs his own sci-fi show because I think he's that good of an actor. And, I just miss him, like his style, his delivery. He just has this mystique, and he's always had it too from the very first season of SG One. It's just him. And it's uh, hard to follow up James Woods too. Think about uh, that, the motherfucker followed up. Oh, you mean James Spader? Yeah, I'm James Spader. Sorry, James. <laughs> <laughs> 
James Woods is good too, though. I like. He's him. an excellent actor as well. Don't get me wrong. They're both good James. Pulled, high quality James. He has one of the greatest lines in all of Hollywood history. <laughs> you pull smoking fashion victim. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I totally forgot about that. That's a great one. Oh my god. But yeah, Michael Shanks was great as Horace Axley. Uh, is a brief role, and I'm glad he nailed it the way he did. Because I'm hoping it'll get some people's attention and he gets some some more roles maybe bigger roles like you said uh, so so yeah basically season two is uh, the book broken angels and uh, this book was much more like uh, a detective novel than it's portrayed in the the television show. That's one thing I'll say. I'm not going to dwell too much on book specific stuff because we're reviewing the television show, not the book. But I, I just will say that there's a reason I like the book more than the television show is because there's much more intrigue and sort of slow rolling, uh, Neuer detective stuff in the book than there is in the show. They kind of gloss over it. The way Horace Axley's only in one episode is kind of an example where you feel like they could have done 20 episodes and spread it out a bit if they wanted to, but they did manage to hit all of the major plot points and they, they didn't cut anything major. It's all just kind of exposition that they cut out. And, uh, it kind of makes it a little abrupt. I'm going to say the way that it progresses episode to episode feels abrupt because of how quickly it goes through it, which is fine. And it's really only in the beginning it feels abrupt. I think that once you get halfway through, they kind of just start really sticking to the the, the pace of the book, and it starts to feel more natural. Uh, what what do you feel about it as a non-book reader? Did you feel any abruptness in the early episodes, the way they transition into each other? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I mean, I read other... I, I've read other, like, sci-fi books, and so I'm not, like... I'm not someone that just doesn't read any type of sci-fi. I am cultured, you swine. <laughs> not How to come on like that. But, but at the same time, I did feel that abruptness in, in season two's first episode. You know, when I saw, maybe it was just me detecting Michael Shanks as such a prominent sci-fi actor in my mind. And then seeing him killed off in the first episode where I'm, all right, that was really abrupt to use him as an actor for a character that you're just going to kill off and kill off in one episode. Right. Yeah. So maybe that, you know, put the exclamation point above my head, but at the same time, I don't know. I, I, sometimes I feel like you shouldn't pick actors like Michael Shanks to play roles like that. Because sci-fi is such a small genre, especially in the actual live adaptation. Like, sci-fi books is one thing. Sci-fi television series, there's a small pool of actors that people recognize. You know, from uh, to Patrick Stewart, to, um, uh, uh, fuck. Um, uh, William Shatner? Well, William Shatner and uh, I'm, I'm forgetting his name. God damn it. Uh, not. What, what show? Uh, Stargast you won the main commander. Oh, Richard Dean Anderson. Richard Dean Anderson to Michael Shanks to, to from uh, James. Um, oh, fuck, I'm going blank right now, but all the actors from the original Stargate SG one movie. 
you know, who are prominent in other movies. Like when you use these characters or use the actors more, I should say, from these original base characters in live action, you expect some type of significance from them, right? Mm-hmm. Going into st- into season two of Alter Carbon, the moment I see Michael Shanks, I'm like, oh, fuck, dude. I'm thinking of Stargate SG-1. Huge sci-fi series. Many people recognize that series. He's not just going to be a one-off character, but then he is. Yeah. I and mean, it really just kind of... I don't, maybe lets you down in a way, but I, I don't want to use such words like that because that well, would make it seem like you were disappointed because I wasn't. It's bittersweet I, if you're an SG-1 is, fan. Because exactly. on one it's hand, you're seeing Michael Shanks. You're you're seeing him in a new show in a prominent, if not very short role. It's awesome in that way. But then on the other hand, you're right. You're like, you deserve better than this. You should have your own show. You should have a role that persists. And that was really why I was really hoping that he would play Carrera. And for the record, I think he would have been a great Carrera. But I think that the guy they did get to play Carrera was fucking amazing. And I'm not unhappy yeah. that – or I am I am happy that they went with him. Overall. I would like to think that Michael Shanks was the default Carrera, and mm-hmm. then that guy came in and just blew him out of the yeah. water, and they were just like, all right, you got to be Carrera. <laughs> I like that narrative. Let's go with that. <laughs> Let's go with that one. Because <laughs> he really did deserve it. At the end of it all, Like I, I don't have any doubts. The guy that played Carrera deserved it. He blew it out of the water. Yeah, he he consistently was the best actor in the show other than Poe. And let's go into Poe a little bit because Poe had his own arc in this season. and Single best point of the series. And I thought it was very beautifully portrayed. And his relationship uh, with Dig was so well done. And honestly, there were parts where I almost teared up a little bit because of how well they did the Dig and Poe stuff. And I love this whole arc with him trying to resurrect his friend and his whole little side hustle trying to do things for Kovacs while Kovacs is off doing other stuff, still kind of a part of the overall uh, narrative, but sort of just like doing his little own version of Alice in Wonderland. And I'm really happy with the way they portrayed it. I'm very happy with all the actors involved. Uh, it was just amazing. And I think it's the bright spot for me of the entire season. What, what about you? What do you think about uh, what's your favorite uh, aspect of the season overall? If you had to pick one. It was definitely Poe. Poe added the emotional impact to the whole season, right? Yes. When you look at Kovac's character, his emotional arc was really in season one, you know, building up to, um, uh, Chris, Krishna Falcon. What's her name? Quill Chris Falconer. I know there's so many weird names in this complicated (laughs) name, but Kel, I'll just call her Kel. Mm -hmm. His buildup emotionally was in the first season with Kel. Ultimately in season two, they kind of were dealing with the fallout of season one with his character. Whereas Poe really supplied the emotional and substantial buildup of a character for the season, you know, cause Poe in the first season was just this rogue AI that was stuck being a hotel li- liaison. All right. Like, I mean, that's what he was. That's what he wanted to be. Right. Like that was what it, it just seemed like, there was nothing much that he cared about other than that. 
and then in season two, well, sorry, not to go into too many spoilers because I recognize maybe maybe some people haven't watched. No, 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 no. We're in the spoilers section. Oh, we are. We are full spoilers. You know, with Poe and I forget her name, but the person he was looping around, essentially the one he was he cared about and really was stuck on trying to get her out of her her uh, glitch or whatever you call that i i'm kind of going a blank with what that situation really was uh, the the nitty-gritty details but there was this um person he really cared about that was stuck in this really bad loop simulation loop yeah miss lizzie who who was also paramount to the season two arc with him and and one thing i'll say just to interject real quick and you can go back to what you were saying i just want to say that lizzie was better in season two than she was in season one as far as the television show goes her portrayal of the character lizzie was so much better in season two i really did not like her portrayal in season one. She was like a sore spot for me in season one. Total opposite in season two. I thought she was great, but go on. Yeah. And I mean, I could consider that as like uh, a building block to her character, right? Like they were trying, maybe you didn't like the way they started her character out, but ultimately you like, you like, I just didn't like the actress's portrayal of the character in season one. It it felt uh, a little too rigid and uh, cold. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the as far as the actor goes, she was really only contained to these really particular scenes where there was a vibe, a very particular vibe, mm-hmm. you know, like a dream state. She was the victim that was trying to awake, you know, and and Poe was the the catalyst or whatever. But nonetheless, to go back to Poe is, is developing in season two. Poe really took the show for me. And I think for a lot of people, yeah, his development in season two was the highlight of the series, especially towards the end when you really because in in season two, when at the beginning, when they they start really touching on the idea that he needs to reset, you don't as a viewer. I mean, you you think about the fact that he's just maybe maybe I'm thinking about it differently. But I come from like a computer program or, or, or background, you know, and when I think about hardware resetting like that, I think about actual persistent memory versus volatile memory versus, you know, other more unique types of memory. And when you reset hardware and program and software, they just don't it's not just like you have the same instance. It's the same program. It's serving the same function for all intents and purposes. It's what you're familiar with, but it's not the same instance as that you previously were engaging, even though it feels the same. And this is maybe where we can go off on a different crazy tangent about existence and stuff, but I love how they uniquely captured this yes. with, with Poe. Because in the beginning of the season, he's just like, I refuse. I don't want to reset because I will lose my emotional ties and what makes me, me, in, and here comes the coin term, instance, you know, tie to you. And you being... Uh, uh, Joel's character, or I'm uh, sorry, Anthony Mackie's character in this season, uh, Takeshi Kovach, 
And in the, in the first episode, you're just, you're kind of like, well, you know, like, you're just a fucking AI, this badass AI that runs a hotel and you got these personalities that they'll come back surely, right? But they never really flesh that out to you until the final episode where he finally does restart and you realize the impact of what it means to restart even something is, well, I don't know. I don't want to use the word rudimentary because a program is the farthest from that. But still, you you look at it almost in a rudimentary lens and you're just like, well, he's just going to be the same when he comes back. It's the same program, but not really. That program adapted to you. It became your friend in a way. Just kind of how like when you reformat your computer and your computer is all used to the way your desktop's laid out and the, the, the RAM is used to the way you open programs and all this stuff and everything's super streamlined and you're just used to things snapping the way they do. But when you reformat, everything's a flat scale again and you're like, oh, I got to teach it again to be <laughs> like me. And that was yeah. what I related to at the end of season two. I saw poe resetting and i'm just like yeah it's poe again but he has to figure out who you are again <laughs> yeah as i was watching it like you just said like at the end of the show what you're really thinking about is the existential nature of life and is poe actually dead or is he alive what is the nature of memory and it's it's a little tear jerky the way that they portray him and with dig and it's definitely my favorite part of the television show of season two and well, I think it touches on an existential crisis of life itself. You know, when you create something that can interact with you, you essentially give it a measure of life that you deem significant, you know? And then the moment it shows you its frailty in its unique fashion to its form of life, you then draw back and you're just like, Oh, you really are the thing I created, you know? Yes. And in that way, it, I don't even know what I, honestly, I know what I just said, but I couldn't explain <laughs> what I just said. Like it's, <laughs> it's a hard thing to rationalize, you know, because at the same time you want to say that I created something that is unquestionable. It is life. Mm-hmm. It has a personality. It has a want. It has a desire. It has emotion. And at the same time, you're just like, but no, I control it. Every aspect of its nature, I can turn off. And it's it's paramount. It's like, I know I can do this. It's not a question. It's not out of control. It's not out of my nature. I know I can do it, but I feel for it. <laughs> and I want it to desire things. It's weird. It's a weird thing. It is. And I, lo- I think that's why season two really stand out to me because Poe's season was really cool to me. Yeah. It, it it's definitely interesting how, how much they focused on Poe and what they cut so that they could focus on Poe. I think it was good. I think what they did was good. Oh, but the one thing I will say is that the interactions with Kovacs with, Kovacs Prime, Kovacs Prime <laughs> is my favorite episode of the television of the television series season two is episode five, and that's when Kovacs Prime gets spun back up. There were there was just a little bit too much cut and a little bit too much. Uh, I think part of the problem is Danica Harlan. 
I did not like her. I did not like the actress who played Dana Carlin. I thought she played it way too over the top and cartoony. She felt like a, she felt like an actress from a soap opera to me. And I did not enjoy her at all. And she almost ruined this plot line for me because every time she was on screen, I kind of just rolled my eyes a little bit. And when Jaeger got annoyed with her and like rolled his eyes at her, I felt simpatico with him. I think that's when I bonded (laughs) with Jaeger is when we were both rolling our eyes at Dana Carlin at the same time because she's just annoying and I don't really know how to describe it. But yeah, I mean, I don't want to hate on the character too much because I honestly, I thought I was a fan of season two. There wasn't much complaint I have with season two or season one for that matter. But if, if I were, to really address some complaints, the actor of of Danica Harlan is number one. Yeah, probably honestly, probably number one. Who would even be number two? Can you even think of who number two is behind her? Um, for me, it'd be Trip. I think I Trip's think okay, would. but I had some problems. I liked her early on. I liked Trip in the first half of the season. I thought she kind of started to play the character weird in the second half. Okay. Yeah, I mean I could I could see that. I'm really trying to think and I think it would be the the actor of the Rebel Alliance that ended up being a lie. I oh, the leader guy who was just working for Danica. Yeah. <laughs> he ended up being <laughs> actually a pretty poor actor. He was a poor actor, you're right. He kinda he reminded me of a really poor man's Daniel Baldwin. Oh Jesus Christ. And that's really How bad. dare that's you, an, Broadcaster an, Nichols? That's an indictment because Daniel Baldwin is a poor Daniel Baldwin. <laughs> so I mean if if you're yeah. a poor yeah. Daniel Baldwin <laughs> Yeah, Daniel Daniel Baldwin makes Stephen Baldwin look like Alec Baldwin. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh yeah no that guy sucked but i don't really even count him too much because he's so brief but he's supposed to be a pivotal role i thought they were setting him up as to be a bigger role and i maybe it was his acting that let the director down in general that made him sway to not concentrating on that character as much i'd like to believe that to be honest but the way they set him up was kind of like this gotcha moment you know, it mm-hmm. was an it was almost like a too obvious gotcha moment. It's like, oh, he was just a a pawn in the yeah. scheme of things. It's like, mm, was it that, or was that actor's acting that bad that you were forced to write him off? <laughs> Such a character. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's there's a crack seller theory. I, I, one that's probably true. <laughs> Put the tinfoil on, hat on. <laughs> So, okay, so favorite episode. What was your favorite episode of season two? Uh, Let's say other than the opener and the ending. So let's say not not counting the finale, because obviously the finale was sick as fuck, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But other than that, like middle episodes, what was your favorite? I think if I'm really thinking about it, I think it was the second or the third to last episode where um, Takeshi actually gets hit by the the network system, the astral fire, angel fire, the network that the ancients used. Okay. Right? Yeah. So you're, you're talking the, about uh, the second to last, the penultimate episode. That's when the angel fire comes down. 
Yeah, the first time when he survives it. Right, right, right. Well, when Quelchus Falconer, yeah, and uh, it, yes, Quelchus several Falconer several people it, survive it. Yes, the, what, as you would put it, uh, Kovacs Prime survived it as mm-hmm. well. I yes. think that was my favorite. That's a good one. Uh, that's probably my second favorite. But my fir- my favorite is episode five. I wake up screaming, and I, I kind of already talked about it. It's where Kovacs Prime gets spinned up, and it you know you get into this point where you don't think it's possible that the original Kovacs could ever show back up. Then all of a sudden, Carrera shows up as Jaeger. He's he does this illegal shit in a VR where he spins up the an old copy of his friend before his friend betrayed him. The premise of that to me is yeah. fucking amazing. Cause I think about all the friendships I had in my life that went sour. There, there was some like in middle school and stuff where this guy was my best friend. And then something happened at one point and we never talked again. It's like, could you imagine just being able to spin up a version of that person before that thing happened 20 years later, like like it was the same day. It's such a crazy concept to me, and I fucking love that. And it's not only that. the type of concept, not to cut you off, sorry. Go for it. It's the type of concept that really makes you worried about technology. Mm-hmm. Just, in, just in the magnification, as far as your imagination can go, you know, that is one of the elements of technology that can truly scare you. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine that capability. And you have no control. Being being eight years old. Right now, put yourself in present day. You have an action figure. You like Gundams. You like fucking Voltron. Who knows, right? You got a fucking two, three hundred, five hundred thousand dollar fucking 3D printer, right? You can print yourself a little rudimentary action figure and you're just like, damn, dude. I just made Voltron at fucking 30 years old. I'm the shit. I remember watching that when I was 12. Blah, 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 right? Mm-hmm. Think about the power, the the God-type aspects you have, dude. When you fast-forward another instance of equivalent or theoretical, whatever you want to put it, life that's like you, just magnify yourself into the future. Some organism is just like you and you have a friendship just like you experienced in your, your 21st century in your, in like you said, a version of a friend that you liked before it went sour. It's just such an insidious idea, but at the same time, a practical idea yes. in the perspective of someone that lives in the future where you're just like, I can copy whoever I want. For I sure. live in my own bubble. I can literally make a reality where 20, 50, a hundred people I printed out do exactly what I say. <laughs> you know, it's, and, and it's such it's a, a spooky reality, but it a is. real reality. <laughs> yeah, and there's like a creeping darkness to it too because of the human condition and how humans would treat something like that. Could you imagine parents? They have a kid. They love their kid up till they're like nine years old. Then oh, the kid man. starts misbehaving. They keep it going a little while. They get to 13. They start like killing cats and shit and just like, you know, they go full Dexter. Guess what? 
Mommy and Daddy are spinning you back up to age seven, and they're going to try a different strategy of raising you. A different Holy approach. Holy shit. Are, like, the implications of such a technology are so dark and so vast, and that's one of the things that makes this book series special, is it but talks also, about high-concept stuff like that. But also think about the the weight of where it bears down. You know, And one idea, you think about the idea, like you put, you know, where a parent is disappointed in the progress mm-hmm. of a child. So they spin them back up at a certain age where they deemed it to be perfect and malleable, where they can go forward from such a point, a milestone, if you will. There is <laughs> a nightmare, if you will, an idea that you'll always be stuck in the circle of what if, you know? I, I I truly love the ideas that they play on in this season because of the, the, the amount of compounding creativity you can go with with such an idea. It will never end. You will never be happy. It is a sand pit. Yep. It's quicksand. It is. It truly, it truly is the old analogy, quicksand. You will go deeper and deeper the more you struggle. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It, it, it's I love that's my when I I'm such a sci-fi nerd and that's like my main thing it's the main thing I consume is science fiction and man this is the type of stuff that makes me love science fiction it's what got me hooked Absolutely. to it and it's what keeps me hooked to it is conceptual stuff like this where you can just bend your mind around it and you start to see the flaw in humanity and how it fractally cascades around any technology and just turns it into the most dark thing you could possibly imagine. Are it, you it, saying you're a Frank Herbert fan? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, the back to episode five being my favorite episode of the season. Uh, the other reason is because episode five ends with Kovacs versus Kovacs. Yes. Was that not fucking awesome? <laughs> It was almost this Mortal Kombat oh, epitaph to me. It totally. was the epitaph of Mortal Kombat, <laughs> to be honest. When I saw Kovacs versus Kovacs, I, I immediately went back to, I don't know, circa 2012, 2013, where I was going to this point in my life where I seen enough Mortal Kombat to the point where any new Mortal Kombat seemed like almost intrusive to me. You know, I was just like, what is this? Like, all these new characters, you're trying to tie this into the old series, blah, 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 you know? But at some point, you're just like, you you um, reconcile with it because of your, your passage through time. <laughs> you know, you're just like, this is just, this is what comes of it. You know, there is no slow, you know, not to go off too much. Maybe I'm ranting a little bit, but there is a quote that I'll take from Destiny, from the character Osiris. Destiny 1, this isn't even Destiny 2, this may be back a millennia for some people, but Destiny 1, right, (laughs) when you're flying through the loading screen, Osiris gives you a line that says, all ends come from the same pit. (laughs) There is no stopping or slowing it. Or sorry, there's no stopping it, but here it can be slowed. And that really stood out to me because it just... So many aspects of life can relate to that. Yep. You know, it's like it's a slow burn. It's this crawl into madness or something you can't perceive anymore. Something out of your scope. 
it's not what's the word I'm looking for? It's not ridiculous. It's not out of the ordinary. It's out of your individual scope. And in an idea that is madness, right? You're just like, why have you changed this, this IP, this, this character, this story, this, this concept, you know, this archetype, why have you changed it? So, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, go, going back to like the nitty gritty of the season, I'll I'll just say that I I did like the direction of the season, and the sound effects were really good. But I think they really dropped the ball on the music. I I don't know why. This seems to be a trend now. People are just not focusing on music. The in Western productions of video games and movies and television, there's just a lot of bland bullshit. A lot of boring soundtracks. And I think that the season basically suffers from that as well. It was most of the show had no music. And then what music there was was sort of like stock. It just felt like stock. Yeah, that's very true. It's funny you say that because Westworld sci fi, great that is kind of standing out right now because season three just dropped, which we will be at the crack cellar reviewing shortly. But nonetheless, season one and two, for all I, as much as I know, had a great, a fucking phenomenal soundtrack. Yes. So it's, it, it kind of is, almost comes off as preposterous and ridiculous that sci-fi shows wouldn't consider a soundtrack to be paramount in the construction of the overall vibe of a sci-fi uh, show or, or film. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, not even sci-fi in general. I think what you're talking about is just a lack of respect of sound OSTs in general. Yeah. It's like a forgotten, it's like the forgotten element of entertainment. True. And I just don't understand it because to me, music makes almost everything. What What do you love about these horror movies? Uh, you, of course you love the horror, but they all have these creepy th- music set, like Think about every single of the great horror movies. They all have this special theme song that you can recite in your head right now that just defined the movie. Absolutely. I always like to think of, you know, there's a frontward and a backward attack to things, right? If like, if you were like this war general, right? And you were thinking, how am I going to defeat my enemy? This enemy's in front of me. It's occupying this land and, and, I'm going to come at it from front, but I also need to have an idea of what comes from the back, what comes from the sides, what comes from the air, if technology permits and what time you're talking about. But nonetheless, I think there's this, you really, a soundtrack is this 4d attack on entertainment. You know, you present a creative direction, you present an idea what, no matter what it is, you you present an idea to the audience and they consume it. And they're like, okay, yeah, there's magic, there's elves, oh, there's there's hell, there's nightmares, oh, there's uh, elite, uh, you know, rich people in the sky enslaving the people on the earth. It doesn't matter what the premise is, right? You always get this idea that's in front of you. You consume it like it's uh, – 
you know, it's food in the trough, like a pig almost, you know, but there's then the attack from behind the subconscious attack, which is the music in my mind. The music is what fills in the blanks. Yes. When you give a story to someone, they're consuming it, but there's these gaps that slowly form. They're just like, well, that doesn't really make sense because of this. And, oh, uh, well, what if blah, 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 you know, like all these variables that start to form. But the OST almost uh, brunts the flood, if you will, of that type of thought coming into your IP. If you have a good soundtrack, it makes the fleshed out scene so much more real, so much more impactful, so much more emotional that – you don't care to think about such thoughts. You're just like, man, that scene was so dope. The meteor was falling from the sky mm. and heavy metal was playing and fucking a dragon came by and there was this acoustic solo or whatever the fuck it may be. You know, the music is what complements it and makes you not question the vulnerability of a scene. The OST is complementary. It it band-aids the weakness of a scene almost. Oh, totally. You, you nailed it, really. What, what, what you just said is exactly right. And it applies to video games, it applies to movies, and it applies to television. And I don't understand what is up with the current trend in Hollywood of downplaying music, almost having no music in most of these new TV shows. It's just like, it's like there's this new rule that we just don't do music and television anymore. And I don't understand why we can't do that. It just, it's such a great technique that not only can it just fill in the blanks, like you said, it can also be like this guiding meteor in the sky that takes you to like your true north. You know what I mean? As far as like your conceptual belief of what you're seeing in a scene, it can manipulate you almost Absolutely. in a good way, in a good way. And it's underused, and I think it was underused in this show, too, and it's, it's a, a missed opportunity, I think. I think it's just an easy way to cut costs, you yeah. know? It, like, especially to the layman that, don't, that have the money, but they don't really appreciate the medium of the IP in which they're investing money in. You know, they're just like, well, people respect this. Whatever it is I'm investing money in, I know it's going to be successful, but there's one aspect I can cut out. It's the music because <laughs> Luke Skywalker is going to be there no matter what, right? Titekashi Kovach is going to be there no matter what. You know, these iconic characters that people look for, the image, if you will, the visual representation is still there. The audible representation is not as critical to some to most people i should say and that's why you can see hollywood and even uh streaming services get away with it because yeah. it's just it's not as critical as seeing the visual representation yeah i mean it's not but i just to me feel it like, is but yeah to well, most it's not. yeah it's just it's one of those things where I know that's what they're thinking and that's what their rationale is. But it's like, I know so many like musicians that for a very low fee would do the soundtrack to this television show in a heartbeat. And it's, it, it'd be like a fucking dropping a dollar bill in a pond to these production companies to pay this said person. They're out there. They might have to do some work to find them because, of course, all the normal people are going to all be expensive because they're in Hollywood. They're part of the circle. 
that gets, you know, hired upon and you'd have to do a little bit more work to find these people, but you could. And I just wish that they would do the work like these producers, like all these shows have eight executive producers on them. How about one of these fucking low life assholes that do nothing? How about they just go out and find a a musician that has heart and will do it for cheap that wants to just get his name out there. They're out there. If you really, if you really want to put on the tinfoil hat, and and when I say put the tinfoil hat on, this is something I truly believe. Just coming from, you know, I'm not a, I, I'm not a musician. I won't claim to be. I'm very familiar in the aspects of instruments, and and I, I, I have a lot of friends that want to be that type of. They they want to have that type of life, and in my childhood, I grew. You know, I was in like three different bands, trying to just be like this heavy metal dude, right? Like, I didn't really care about fame or anything, but I loved I loved music, and I I kind of have an understanding of the mentalities of people that want to be in um, band. Not, and I'm not saying musicians; I'm talking about the type of people that want to be in bands, right? There is an ego out there and i can easily see this with people that have um like directors or even writers of famous ips you know they don't want to give too much credence too much fame or attention to the soundtrack even though it's such a critical part of the 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 fandom they don't want to give too much credence to it because they know it's it's like this ego thing they're like, I made up – let me give you an example. Halo. Halo, for instance, yeah. right? <laughs> yep. Halo. You th- there's this perfect duality of Halo. You have Master Chief, and then you have the soundtrack, right? Mm-hmm. The, oh, you know, that soundtrack. Everyone knows that soundtrack. Everyone knows who Master Chief is, at least in the gaming world, right? Mm-hmm. But those are ex- – two opposite sides of the coin especially if you know the story between i think his name is marty marty o'donnell i think his name is who made the soundtrack right yeah i guess what i'm getting to is is that you don't when you when you come up with these stories right when you when you you give yourself enough credit to the point where you're just like well here I am. I wrote this book that's a critical success, and now it's getting turned into a movie, a television series, a game. And now there's this guy that had nothing to do with my original idea mm-hmm. of making this really critical aspect that really attaches it to an audience, right? Yep. And then the audience starts just recognizing that element, and it, your ego comes into place. Then you're just like, this son of a bitch this motherfucker like he has nothing he has no idea the decade it took for me to create this ip in my mind and what it took to get here and now he made one soundtrack or one song or one thing that people just attach to my (laughs) idea you know yeah i get that's the root of what i'm getting i I think you're right that's what people fear they see that shit and they're just like that's not going to happen to me. I'm not mm-hmm. going to allow that to happen to me. I think you might be right about that because the era of like the big name OST, it seems to be dying. You just don't see them. And they're, they're dying off and no one's replacing them. And so you just, bad. you just have like these like musicless soundtracks or like these very loose soundtracks with just like generic music that 
might not even be credited to a person. It might be credited to just like some generic company or something like it. It's really weird time for OSTs and some, some stuff still does it great. There's still some good OSTs out there, but man, there's, there's a weird push to kind of eliminate music from certain types of entertainment. I find it to be. Abhorrent. I think they're just sadly disregarded as lesser elements of, of the entertainment medium, the IP. Yeah. And it's sad. It truly it is. is sad because it's like, who are you? <laughs> like you like, sure. You made up the main character. Sure. You made up the, the driving force of the story, but then you have this beautiful soundtrack. Like it's like, um, uh, who made up Lord of the Rings? Tolkien, uh, right? Yeah. Who, who did the movies? Uh, Peter, Peter Jackson. Jackson. Yeah. Peter Jack. It's like Peter Jackson going up to the guy that organized the orchestra for all three movies and being like, you know what? I feel like your soundtrack's too good <laughs> and it's taking away from my direction of the film. <laughs> you know? Yep. <laughs> it's just yeah. preposterous to me. It's like, how can anyone think like that? It, yeah, it is. And uh, hopefully that trend reverses itself because it's not a good one but uh no so what did you think about the premise of the elders so uh, what did you think about what the elders are what they created on this planet the whole backstory of harlan murdering them and then also the retro guardian that infects the people trying to destroy the planet as revenge sort of like a Oh God! What what's that? When you go to Mexico and they say not to drink the water because of someone's <laughs> revenge. You That's know a good analogy. I forget exactly. It's like That's some a really good analogy. Some Mexican general, like it's his revenge or whatever. That's essentially what this is, but in the form of a a virus that goes into stacks. And I love. I love the concept of these people creating a weakness by creating snack uh, stacks. That oh. Well, you created these stacks based off this technology. Now you have the virus coming for you. I love that whole thing. What did you think about that and uh, the way it played into the ending with like the angel fire and like the the reckoning? Well, first of all, I thought it was a great change of pace for the season because in season one, I didn't quite understand who these aliens were. Mm-hmm. It didn't. It didn't really become apparent to me that's that's where they mined the material that they use to create stacks. Like in season one, they kind of glanced over it and all this stuff, but it didn't really stick to me. It didn't become apparent that that's what they really were. In season two, I really appreciated that they kind of delved into that a little bit more with Harlan World and stuff like that, and the founders murdering this alien race um, to get this material to create stacks and yada yada. But on top of that, they they elaborated on the idea that this this material, this alloy, this metal, was more connected to the earth, the end of the the, the particular world where they mined it from. Mm-hmm. You know, so I, I thought that was really cool, and it, but it was also kind of jarring in the same way. Like I'll say, like I appreciate it, but at the same time, it almost made me look at season one in a bad way, where it's just like you didn't really set this up to be in season two. So, so uh, what did you think about the finale? Let's, let's talk about the finale a little bit before we uh, give our official Joker rating. Uh, did you like the, the way they killed off Kovacs and then with Poe downloading him and resurrecting him? What, what did you feel about that? 
Well, I mean, I haven't read the book at all, so I have nothing to go on that. So as far as my, um, my, me seeing the, the second season, I thought it was cool. Yeah. Maybe if I read the book, it might be kind of a letdown or maybe they didn't do things right, you know, because I plan on reading the books, but at the same time as just a show watcher, I thought it was pretty cool. I didn't expect it. It was something that I truly didn't expect. And that's <laughs> what I always appreciate out of anything, not just sci-fi, but if you guys can, if you can do something where I didn't even think about it, then it's cool in my eyes. Even if it ends up being a shitty idea executed in the next iteration or whatever, I can appreciate something that was over my head, you know? So, I don't know. I thought it was a cool idea. Yeah. And I also think the, the the other part of me wants to, is theorizing that there's, you know, the other book or whatever has already been established and there's all already these 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 wheels spinning or whatever. So it, it makes me excited for who the third iteration of Kovacs is going to be. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that a little bit. Do you, cause I think we both agree that Anthony Mackie is not coming back, which is kind of like, and, and I don't sad in a way. Cause I like, I, I, it almost makes me feel the way about Paul, uh, Zimmerman, Zinneman, I think is, I forget his name, but it's just like you kind of fall in love with them and then they, they, they leave and you're just like, Oh fuck, I guess I'm not going to get that anymore. <laughs> yeah. So do you, so do you think Kovacs will return as two Kovacs in season, in season three? Let's just ask that. Yes. Do you, do you see, so we yes. have, we have Kovacs prime. So, He's here. He's here to stay. We have the OG Kovacs. And we also have Mackie Kovacs, as far as we can tell, going into the season three. Do you think that, A, they're going to kill off the Mackie Kovacs uh, off screen and then say, oh, we're re-sleeving him and have a new guy? Or do you think they're just going to kill him off screen and just have him not come back and just have only Kovacs Prime? What What do you think? How do you think this is going to pan out? I think it's going to be a versus from here on out. I think there's going to be two different Kovacs. I think there's going to be the Kovacs pretty being in love with Kelkrish Falkna. And then there's going to be the Kovacs that was indoctrinated by Kelkrish Falkna. I think that's how they're going, to, they're going to visualize it. That's the feeling I get that there's now this split this fork in the roads of Kovacs where maybe the OG Kovacs was the right way or maybe the rebellion Kovacs was the right way mm-hmm. and, I, and all at the same time I think it's a perfect way to do the series which is why I think it's the most likely because it it's such a such an emotional impact for people that have different perspectives when reading a book you know you you have this main character and now all of a sudden, you're made to decide. Is he the Kovacs that should have stayed with Jaeger and became a military expert and started fucking laying down the law? Or should he have been the rebellious one that went with Kelkrish Falkna and destroy all stacks and, and equalize life again? You <laughs> know? So I, I that's where my mind says the most common idea or the most the most likely outcome is gonna be. <laughs> Yeah, well, 
I'll just say that. Uh, no, I won't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I. I I almost said something, but I think it's best that uh, I just say those are interesting thoughts. But as you know, here on the Crack Cellar, we do use the official Joker rating system. On this system, Broadcaster Nichols, what do you rate Season 2 of Altered Carbon? Michael Keaton. (laughs) No doubt. No doubt. <laughs> no, with all serious, with all seriousness, I'd say I don't know. It's a struggle, man. You know, because I I don't have an understanding of the full storyline. You know, and nope. and you do. So I get this like this kind of insidious feeling that you know something I don't, and that oh, I know a I'm lot of totally, things you don't. <laughs> I'm totally wrong with my perspective on stories, but nonetheless. I think the direction of season two was not as good as season one. So I'll give it, I'm going to give it a Jack Nicholson because mm. I really thought the first season of Alter Carbon, as far as sci-fi and general viewers to totally isolate it season one, that's it. I thought it was really fucking excellent. I thought it was a great fucking sci-fi season, which I put at the higher echelon of sci-fi has come out in the last five to 10 years. Yeah. So when comparing it to that, season two is unfortunately a semi letdown. Not yeah. a disappointment, but not higher than the original. Agreed. But I'm going to have to give it a Heath. It's a Heath Ledger to me. I would have given uh, the season one a Jack, but to me, season two it had some really bright spots to it. But overall, I think they just botched it a little bit. I think that they should have maybe made it 12 episodes instead of eight, and they could have fixed some of the problems for me. I don't have any serious problems with it, but there were just a few little nagging details that bugged me, and there were a few missed opportunities we've already gone over with the music and uh, Danica Harlan and you know all kinds of little tiny things that overall aren't that big, but when you put them all together... For me, it drops it down to a Heath Ledger. And with that, we will close out. Hi-ya! Everybody was kung flu fighting. Wax off, my nigga. (laughs) 